today on Capricorn Matters. Breakups, burnout, changing your relationship with money, artist statements, making friends, and more. With very special guest, Beth Pickens. Stay tuned. Beth Pickens is the author of the books, Your Art Will Save Your Life and Make Your Art No Matter What. Beth is an arts consultant, a Capricorn, and an esteemed friend to the show. You can join Beth's homework club right now at BethPickens.com. And if you sign up in January, you will get access to all of her content from 2021 that expires February 1st. Beth joined producer Ponyo and I via Zoom in the Sagittarian Matters social distancing studios the night before her birthday to answer your questions when she was at the peak of her Capricorn powers. Now, please enjoy my talk with very esteemed guest to the show, Beth Pickens. Pickens, welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. Nicole Georges, I believe it's called Capricorn Matters. I'm so sorry. It's been so long that I forgot the name of your very special Capricorn Matters. <laughs> I'll let it slide this time. I'm very sorry that they're here. I'm like doing this podcast from a truck stop, it sounds like. I am at the Southwester in Seaview, Washington. And while I am surrounded by vintage Airstreams, there is for some reason a semi-truck backing up as we hit record on Friday at 4 p.m. Nice. They got the memo. You're doing something that requires quiet. And they're like, we'll be right there. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I'm on Um, my way. (laughs) We'll be there in just a sec. So, but I do want to tell you, I'm staying in a trailer called The Mansion, The Spartan Mansion. And in fact, it has bunk beds and a queen size bed and a full bath that's amazing so since we talked i've moved into a mansion that is that sounds really spectacular it looks very spacious what i'm seeing right now thanks it is and i have been going to uh my favorite antique mall and picking up musty treasures along the way musty treasures the nicole j george's story i almost bought a pillow today with a lhasa opso um stitched into it and then I happened to smell it. I happened to pull my mask down just to see, and it was too much. I couldn't. There was no amount of lavender Febreze that was going to take that out. <laughs> no, the mold was too thorough, and I realized I, it didn't, I didn't have what it took to resurrect this pillow. You didn't want to, like, create an allergen in your life where there was none? No. I mean, I thought about taking things from Oregon and Washington and just taking them to L.A. and sitting them in the sun and seeing if that would kill the smell of mold, but I don't know if that's true. (laughs) Beth, we're here on the eve of your birthday, on the eve of your 43rd birthday. Can you even believe it? It seems like just yesterday I got my driver's license. It was just yesterday, and we covered it on Sagittarian Matters. (laughs) Beth, when you were 40 years old, we did a very special episode of the show where you and I had just met a celebrity at our favorite Mormon-owned local organic grocery store. 
picture it. It was January. Was it the actual day was January 15th? Not to give everybody like blow up my spot of all my, I'll give you my social security number at the end too, but it was January blank blank 2019, my actual 40th birthday. And we were buying vegan breakfast burritos, as one does when they turn 40. Yeah. Your wish, your food wish for that morning was to get a vegan breakfast burrito from Lassen's. Um, And we looked to our right, and there waiting at the burrito counter, which is also a juice counter, was TV and films. The beautiful, the beautiful, stunning, talented star of Riding the Bus with My Sister, Andy McDowell. Star of Green Card, Andy McDowell. And she looked over at you and she said, he looks so young. You look so young. Because we were talking about it being my birthday and she asked how old I was. And I said, I just turned 40. And she's like, you look so young. And I, I, that, it was really, it was a very auspicious way to kick off my birthday, seeing her at the grocery. I mean, seeing a celebrity in Lassen's in LA, that, that's not unusual. But having said celebrity wish you a happy birthday is really special. It's very special. And we didn't even have to get you a cameo to do it. She just looked no. over and offered it. She just offered it for free. Huge savings. <laughs> I have seen, I think, the adult the adult man that played that kid with all the freckles in the sandlot at that Lassen's. Mm-hmm. You have, yeah. I've seen, I've seen some others. I mean, Moby frequents that. I don't know if we consider him a celebrity since his downfall, but we've seen Moby. I've seen Moby there a bunch of times. Um, you know, my last... This last year's birthday was in the year of our Lord, surge number one. And now my birthday tomorrow is in surge number two. So all Capricorn birthdays, of course, like dominoes have fallen over the past month. (laughs) Every party, every celebration. And I've had friends who were turning like big numbers this year. And it was very sad to watch everybody's birthday plans collapse during the surge. And um, last night I was talking to a friend, an Aquarian who is anticipating canceling her 40th birthday in early February. I thought all the Aquarians would just be like, fuck it, we're still having the party. Um, But she's going to cancel it. And she said, well, there's always next year. And I said, that's so funny because that's what we said last year. (laughs) Do you remember? (laughs) You're like, don't say it. Because by next year. Surge three. Surge three. Cancer cron. Okay. Beth Pickens, we have some advice questions for you. And I have advice. I have advice to summon from the depths of my soul, my wisdom, my collected 42 years. Do you want to start with interpersonal relations or do you want to start with business? Start with business. My favorite place to begin. Dear Capricorn Matters, I need to make money with my art, but I don't care about money. Will you please Mm. help me? Signed, don't care about money in Denver. Mm, okay, don't care about money. Well, the first thing I want to say is I want you to care about money. I want you to begin to open yourself up to changing your relationship to money. Seeing it as a resource and and the fact that it's a necessity, having acceptance that it is a necessary fact of your life. I think sometimes when artists tell me they don't care about money, what I look for underneath that is I'm afraid of money. I feel ashamed when it comes to money. 
I feel overwhelmed and intimidated by all things financial. And so the way I deal with that is by trying to not care. But of course, we all care about money because we have to deal with it every day. We live, we live in a moneyed world and money is part of our almost daily interactions. And so it's our business to care about it because it's, a, it's an intrinsic resource in our life and we can change our relationship to it. And by change your relationship, I don't necessarily mean you become a person who's money obsessed and is ruled by money and earning money or fear of money, but I do think you can open yourself up to it as a resource that does really important necessary things in your life and can in the people and communities that you care about in their lives as well. So how do you go about changing your relationship, number one, to money? I think it's great with a sense of curiosity to start investing, investigating some different financial resources. And I would recommend podcasts because the podcast financial world is filled with so many different kinds of voices now of people talking about money, emotional and psychological relationships to money, financial literacy. It's a little bit better than the world of books, which is still kind of uh, white and male and dry um, and very steeped in the values of American capitalism. But in the podcast world, you can get so many more nuanced views of like, what is money and why are, why is money and how do we feel about it and why? So step one, I want you to care and I want you to develop a relationship where you're not afraid or overwhelmed or intimidated, but you see it as a resource that is necessary to your life that you can put in the, in service of your values. That is possible. Okay. Point two. Does earning money have to be a pressure you put on your art? Money, of course, can be derived from all art forms. Anything can be monetized in this, our world of social media and the digital age. But does your art have to be a thing that has to earn money? Do you need to do that right now while you're doing this other important work of changing your relationship to money and opening yourself up to maybe caring caring about it differently? Um, Nicole and I, we've talked about this many times. Like, does your art have to have the pressure of earning any money, let alone lots of money or all the money? Can you earn money in ways that frees up your, your artwork to do other important things in your life? Because it does. It does so many important things. Does it also have to do that one thing? If you say yes, that's fine. I want artists to make money from their work. I want people to monetize the things that they make if they want to. But I think that might be a good thing to do at a near-term later stage once you've done some financial work emotionally and psychologically and done some financial literacy. I get in this this kind of pickle and not. So people that listen to the podcast know, you know, as you and I have talked about many times, that yes, like Michelle T says, what does she say? Work is for jerks. Jobs are for quitting. I just, you know, always have a job that doesn't drain you so much that you can't do your art practice. But it's a lot, like you were saying, it's a lot of pressure to put on your art practice, which is a necessary function of your body and soul to you know, make a living. And anything that I have monetized, I get excited that I get to do it, but I also suck some of the intrinsic joy out of it and my ability to be free within it. Because like before, making diaries was a way of like, you know, reflecting back my reality, moving through feelings. And then when I started putting a price tag on it, I started self-editing as I went. And I was like, well, I don't want to say that in my diary because I might want to publish this. And so then I started, you know, so that is a bad place to be. But um, so I've always had other jobs and things that don't tax my hands and wrists. As we know, I am in uh, some poor, poor health with the wrist arm shoulder situation. 
but I also get, I get the, you know, I do want to make money from things and I get jealous when I see people making money from things that I could also do. I want you to care about money too, because I want you to care about yourself and your quality of life. And I want you to be supported and I want you to be able to support communities and people and things that you believe in. But I don't know. I, I'm not doing a good job answering this question. I think you are. Cause I think you're just raising all the, the same points that that money is a necessary condition of living and that it's it's in our best interest to care. And caring isn't the same thing as obsession or uh, draining your values out of you or draining your critique of capitalism. You can care about money and still be deeply critical of the financial system we live in. In fact, I think the more you care about money, the more you will be um, critical of the system that we live in. You know, this person just says help. They don't ask a particular mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. I have this kind of, I don't know if it's miserly, but I have this kind of knee jerk, like nobody is entitled to your art. Like nobody, if you decide that you don't want, you know, like I just, if you need to make money from your art, you don't have to give everything away for free. People, mm -hmm. there's lots of things people don't get for free. And entertainment is one of those things. People pay for TV stations, people pay for podcasts, people pay for movies, people pay for lots of entertainment and your art while nourishing is also a form of entertainment. So I don't want you to have any guilt attached to having paywalls for certain things or deciding that this project costs money because people can come up with that money. This is not a resource like food or shelter that, you know, you're not the man. You're like an artist who probably needs financial support and it's okay for you to ask people to put money for something that they really value and you're just you know it's okay for people to say yes I value this that's I think that's a huge step I think we're geniuses yeah you're welcome person and they, they call the aunt the person's real name Susie Orman another tried and true classic dear Capricorn matters how do you meet people when you move to a new city during the pandemic from Lonely in Long Beach. We slash you have answered this question in the past year and 10 months many times. Like you've answered this before COVID. How do adults make friends? How do you make friends? Then as adding the asterisk, how do you do it in the pandemic? Whatever phase of the pandemic we're in, now we're in Q8. Um, so let's get, let's talk about some of the classics, the highlight reel, how do you make friends? I mean, the highlight reel includes doing things for other people. To get a friend, be a friend. So that could be you volunteering. It doesn't mean you have to go into a crowded school and breathe in all the germs of the children, but it just means like, are there ways for you to volunteer or are there ways for you to be of service or are there people who you like, who you wanna let them know that you like them? Do you have a comic or a zine or a thing you wanna give to somebody else that does something you like? Just give it to them. Don't make them pay for it. Don't be weird. Just give it to them. Write them a letter. Tell them you want to be friends. Um, I also think people should join Homework Club, which is Beth Pickens Enterprise. And it actually has intrinsic community built in there and accountability pods. And you can see people in there and hear them talk about their work and be like, oh, that person seems kind of cool. I've seen them on this Zoom. I'd like to talk to them a little bit more. Mm -hmm. We're going to tell you a lot more about Homework Club because that's how I make money. Um, I, I want to add that to the asterisk of how do you do that during COVID? And this person said city, right? Move yeah. to a new city. 
Okay, so presumably you've got lots of density of neighbors. Start hyperlocal. Who lives around you? Say hello to them. Are you going to want to be friends with everybody who lives within a three block or half a mile radius? No, but there's probably going to be one to two people who are really cool that you should definitely get to know that you'll be friends with and your neighbors, which is such an important relationship. Mm-hmm. So like say hello, invite yourself to their porch or your, them to your porch, like whatever's going on in your city, COVID related, do the thing that's available, but open your mouth, say hello to people. If you're not an extroverted person, which I am not, Act as if you are. Pretend. Do a performance of what? If, sometimes I'll do this because I am. I'm naturally a pretty shy person, which people would never think about me, but it's true. And I am um, a person who hates small talk, and I don't like talking to strangers. So sometimes I will challenge myself by I'll just be like, pretend you're outgoing, and before you go to X Y Z interaction that you're about to do, just act as if you're a person. Do a performance of. I am a person who is outgoing and friendly and I will just fucking fake it. It is not natural to me, but sometimes I end up having really nice interactions and I kind of glimpse why that's such a lovely way to be. It's just not how I'm wired. Um, and so to the, to the questioner, if that's not naturally your inclination, just do a performance as if it were and see what happens. Yeah. To piggyback off of your neighbor thing, I really like the senior citizens that are generally anywhere. I like having a short conversation. Truly, we're in COVID. You don't want to get close enough to kill anybody. But if you're walking your dog, you'll find that there's people in your neighborhood just sitting on their porch or stretching their legs too. And I mean, sometimes I kind of think also don't put a ton of pressure on yourself to find your new best friends during the pandemic. Like, go ahead and just give yourself, be as gentle as you can, give yourself a lot of space and just know You know, you may be clinging to your old friends right now. Your best friend might be like a couple old ladies from your neighborhood who you walk by every day. You may find your people a little bit later when the world opens up a bit. But in the meantime, bring them to you. If you meet somebody you like and you want to know what to do next, if if it's not terribly cold there right now or maybe in a couple months when it's less cold, you can invite them to your porch for all kinds of things. Or you can give them the good warm seat and you sit in the rain with an umbrella while they, I don't know what, while you guys play words with friends together on your separate, separate computers. What's the new thing everyone's playing that I see them talking about on Twitter and I don't know what it is. And I refuse to Google it. Wordle. What? Oh, I don't know what that is. It's, it's probably already disappeared. Dear Capricorn Matters, is it okay to worry about where my ex will be living after moving out? From worried in Wisconsin. Well, let's start with, is it okay to worry? It's inevitable. People worry. Is it useful or productive? Of course not. Do we do it anyway? I'm doing the thing my father does where he asks a question and then answers it, which irritates the shit out of me and I've inherited it from him. I love it. We worry because it gives us an illusion of control. It makes us feel like we're doing something. Because what it sounds like is you're, um, you're worried about this person, you have fears about them, maybe I don't know, maybe you broke up with them and you're scared and feel guilty. Who knows what's going on? But worry is inevitable and it's just an illusion of doing something. Because what you could do instead is detach and sort of pray for them and wish them well and limit how much you're trying to do for them. I don't know anything about the situation, but the nouns and verbs given suggest that some detachment is in order. An ex is moving out 
a split has happened or is happening and it's time for the person who's asking this question to do some detachment and put the focus back on themselves and trust that this other person is an adult and will figure it out. I think that's spot on. I think that that oh, is... you do? Yeah, you I like do. It? Yeah, I'm... My, I would say mic drop and just throw my laptop on the floor because that's the <laughs> microphone I'm using here. I mean, I think that's good. And I think it gives the other person the dignity of their own experience. And it's going to be it might be hard for them, but they are going to, you know, be stronger having figured this thing out for themselves and finding the right situation for themselves without you finding a situation for them. And every time we leave a relationship and every time we quit a job and other things that are hard to do that bring up guilt, one thing that we're doing is freeing up that situation to have the next person come along. So like, and I know this deeply, when you leave a relationship, because maybe the person asking again, my suspicion is maybe they ended it or wanted the ending more, um, that you are freeing up your ex to have their next love, to have their next adventure, their next experience. Just like when you quit a job and you feel guilty about it, when you leave a job you don't want to be in, you're letting somebody else who really wants that job to come along. So it, it's sort of like everyone's doing their natural order of what has to be done. Movement, moving places, moving relationships, moving energy around the world. So um, this person's now going to go off onto their own new experience and your task is to detach from it. Today's episode is brought to you by Sybil Snow, Emily Helmus, Shoshana Ruth Wachter, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular, producer Chris Sutton, send $5, $5 million, that's your business, to hornetleg at gmail.com on PayPal. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo, Hell Books on Venmo. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Put your Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. Beth Pickens, we yeah. are at the end of the listener questions, and now we are mm-hmm. into personal questions that I have for you, or questions Oof. about artists and FAQs. So I, FAQs. I have been teaching remotely over the course of the pandemic, and I found at the end of the last semester, fall, fall 2021, there was so much burnout. Mm-hmm. Like there were students that like got past the first three months and then they just were like, oh, and just slowed mm-hmm. to a stop. And I attribute that. I want to say it out loud because I think probably a lot of students and a lot of teachers around the world are feeling the same feeling. But I really attribute it to burnout from people living with two years of so much intensity around the election and the horrible uprising of January 6th and like George Floyd and like having to witness all these really hard things and dealing with worldwide grief and having to deal with all that while being isolated and then being asked to do the same level of work, if not more in some situations, then you're ready to without the payoff of humans around you, buoying you. What do you tell your clients or your homework club members? What do you tell them about burnout? How to acknowledge and deal with burnout? I think it's 
um, remembering on a soul level and a logistical level frequently that we're in a pandemic and whether or not it feels acutely erupted in your life or not, depending on where you live, your health, your the ways in which you work or leave the house or don't leave the house, that regardless of what it's doing to you, it's doing something to everybody, everybody. It's sort of like, you know how we talk about the winter holidays? It's like everyone's having their own personal experience of grief and alienation and fear and anxiety, but then you're then bouncing off of a million others of others who are doing the same thing. It's not as it's not an individual experience. It's truly collective. So it's not just me in boiling water for the past nearly two years. It's every person. Everybody is more activated. So wherever they were, whatever was going on in February 2020, it got a lot harder and stayed harder and had a little bit, the needle moved up and down a little and sometimes went way up and way down and infected people, in fact, affected people individually in personal ways and at macro levels constantly. And because we're still in it, we have no distance or perspective. There's just no perspective because we're still living in it. And it's affecting every person at every age, every sector, all over the world. This is not something we ex- have experienced in our generations who are alive right now. It's, we haven't had a global pandemic like this in modernity in the digital age. Like This is just a new experience that's really hard and stressful. And individuals and systems are taxed and stressed in ways that we just like don't even understand the effects of because we're still in it. So I think if we can muster even a seedling of compassion for ourselves and other people once a day for a minute, that would do a lot. Like, can we let each other and ourselves off the hook of like, that this is my best today and tomorrow, maybe I do a little bit better, tomorrow I do a little bit worse, (laughs) but that this is still life. Like we're still, this this is the only life that we have, but it's, there's the biggest, um, viral asterisk attached to it that you could possibly design and that affects things but we we are so fucking adaptable that we've adapted to this and forget that it's happening and that it affects us me too me too i forget all the time that i'm also in the boiling water of a two-year pandemic because i'm used to it because i'm adaptable like all humans are And so sometimes when I step back and imagine describing this to myself in 2019, it gives me a moment of clarity of like, fuck, whoa, (laughs) you know, like I'm not even stoned and I feel high describing it to my younger self of like, this is what you're about to live through and everyone you know. And when I can have that moment of pause and reflection it, it like lets the steam out a little bit. I find myself being able to say it aloud to other people, but not to myself. Like I can see it on other people. I can see like the reason your life is like this at point M is because point A was you before the pandemic when you were living with a bunch of roommates and had a business where you had to interact with people and blah, 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 blah. And then all these different things happened. And so now it's not like... You just woke up and you had no plan. It's like the plans keep changing under our feet. One thing that I recommended to a client recently is I think it can be really useful to help deal with some of the massive unanswered and unanswerable grief and rage at the collective failure to care for people through this by our systems, by our government, is to look at the AIDS pandemic. I always like to look back at the AIDS pandemic as just recent 
cultural memory, recent queer an ancestry, and look to see how did all these young people deal with this epidemic, with this pandemic that affected very specific groups of people? And how did they move through their rage at the government's failure to help them? Which was far more egregious because there was just like denial by the Reagan administration that AIDS even existed. Here there's, I mean, Trump also sort of pretended nothing was happening, but there, there's not the same kind of denial. There's tons of denial, but not quite to the level of early AIDS pandemic. But to look at the ways in which all these young artists and activists expressed and processed their rage while still like figuring it out for themselves and creating community response to something that nobody knew what to do about, it gives that gives me, that buoys my heart. That's where I get buoyed when I can't be with people and be buoyed by them. We're really using that word a lot. Well, um, I'm at the coast. So uh, there's lots of buoys around. Buoy land. So buoy it's land. totally reasonable. It is reasonable. Um, yeah, so I, I think that that can be a thing to do to look at another recent pandemic and witness that, that maybe you didn't go through in the same way. Maybe you weren't alive for it. Maybe you demographically weren't affected. Maybe you were. But to just witness the artists and activists and the writing and work that came out from that time, I think can shed a tiny bit of light or help us move through some of the experience that we're in right now. But again, we're in it. There's no objectivity. There's no understanding because we're still in it. This is a side note of something I've been trying to do for myself is to let go of my judgment rage, sort of, of people that are unmasked or are not doing like the ways, the, you know, I have my ticket book with me always, as you do. Um, or have done in the past. And I, I find myself just, you know what, I'm going to give them, I, I'm going to give them a warning this time. Because when I go into a place and there's somebody with their nose hanging out or whatever, I notice. And whereas before, as we've seen me um, screaming at neighbors in the street throughout the pandemic, I'm trying a little bit more for my own serenity and my own sanity to just let it go and be like, that's just what's happening. And I'm wearing as many masks as I want to wear because that's my prerogative. But um, I'm just going to be wearing like a layer of 14 masks. So I am suffocating and you can't really hear what I'm saying. But I'm not fixating on what that other person's doing. Yeah, the, we don't have control. And everybody's, from the beginning, everybody's personal cocktail of what's kosher and not kosher is very personal and specific to them and is ever-changing. Because there's been no consistency and continuity to any kind of response. We live in a country that, depending on your zip code, dictated what the health outcomes were and whether you should do anything, whether there were any mask mandates, right? And that's always been true. Like your zip code determines what schools you go to and all kinds of other health outcomes. It's just seeing it so explicitly happen is wild. Like I was just out in the desert and... Um, in Palm Springs, you had to wear a mask, and um, if you went to eat inside of a restaurant, you had to have vaccination card. Just kind of standard things in LA that are pretty familiar. One town over in Palm in Palm Desert, just one town over, you didn't even have to wear a mask to go into a restaurant. <laughs> you know, it's just like the insanity, this the schizophrenic, and this the nature of living in the United States, where it's just county by county, street by street, totally different realities, makes us feel wildly unstable yeah i want i mean i do want to say though i'm like i'm not even noticing i am noticing i went into a post office yesterday and the woman working at the post office a government-run agency had no mask but a face shield so i could see her full face 
full face breathing with just the shield, which, you know, no one's really wearing the shield anymore. Really? Anyway, I was surprised. Beth, I want to know, I want to move right along to artist statements because that is what's coming around the bend for homework, homework club. What can you tell me? What I can tell you is that February in Homework Club. And first, let me just briefly say Homework Club is my $15 a month membership subscription artist service offered by me and Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. And um, of course, you listener know Carolyn because she composes the music for Sagittarian Matters as well as Capricorn Matters, as well as many other places, podcasts and shows and albums. Carolyn and I offer this um, service to artists to help them have accountability and ongoing movement for their creative practices. So every month, homework club members get homework given out on the first of the month, and they get a monthly workshop on a theme. And if they want to, they can be assigned into a four-person, four-artist accountability pod with three other artists where they can work together to help each other achieve their goals and dreams. So in February, when we laid out 2022, we decided to use that glorious that that glorious theme of love and i was thinking about what would be a way to sort of show an artist could show love for their practice let's go to the thing that grosses them out the most the artist statement how can artists write an artist statement that is reflective of the truth of who they are now that captures the totality of their experience and interests and do it in a way that's a useful piece of writing that can then be adapted for the different purposes artist statements serve um, some people are definitely afraid of artist statements, um, of course, right? Like writing my own bio is so hard, even though I can write another artist bio very easily. So we're going to be practicing how do you structure an artist statement? How can you write something that genuinely reflects the truth of your practice and who you are now? And how should it be written? I have my personal style that I'm going to be recommending, but um, we're going to be working on that together in February. Oh, I love that. Is an artist statement like a mission statement, but just about your art? I think very similar. I like an artist statement to begin with a journalistic who, what, where, when, why. I want an artist statement personally to start with what do you make with what forms and mediums about what and why. The first thing Mm -hmm. I want to know in a paragraph, the very first paragraph for an artist statement is what do you make about what, with what, and why. Just in case I don't read anything else, which as we know in applications and other places where your artist statement will show up, people may be skimming. So you wanted to start out strong by telling them, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know in order to understand me and look at the rest of my materials. But yeah, so I think in some ways it's saying the mission of like, just truly, what do you make? Like, do you make photographs? Do you make compositions? What do you make? with what materials and forms, about what themes, what concerns you, and why. Why do you do this? Why is this the thing that you're doing? And giving the reader that information first gives them a a framework through which to look at everything else in your application or website or materials. Oh, I love that. (sighs) Beth, is there anything else that you (laughs) want people to know in January 2022. First of all, all Capricorns are extremely disappointed. I mean, we're always disappointed, but now we're really disappointed because all of our things were canceled for a second year in a row, like everyone else, blah, blah, blah. But really, like, it just feels like for the rest of our lives, the holiday surge is just going to cancel every party, and that's a bummer. So be nice to the Capricorns and, and the January uh, Aquarians in your life because we've all canceled fun things um, for two years. I also want people to know, as you know, Nicole, I'm going through great personal transformation. And 
I just think it's useful to remind all of us that you just don't know what's going on in people's lives. You can assume that it's at least inconvenient, if not hard, because they're living during the pandemic. At me, at, at minimum, it's like inconvenient. It might be hard, but um, we just have no idea what's going on with someone else. And so um, don't take anything personally. You and I love that. We love to take things personally and then to remind each other not to take anything personally. And um, that when you're going about your day interacting with friends, acquaintances, strangers, neighbors, just other humans, like who knows what's happening to them? Don't take anything personally. It's probably not about you. Things are going on in people's lives all the time. I know this because of the nature of my job. Um, but I just think remembering that can sort of soften our harsh edges and kind of uh, just make us a little bit more receptive to other people and their pain and, and give them give them a break. Let them off the hook. Give everybody a break. Be patient with everybody. You know. Oh, also my God. Things- Nicole J. George has just said, be patient. This is a red letter day. It's a red letter day. Be patient with people, okay? You don't know what's going on. And right now, things are not happening on anyone's timeline, but also not in the way that anyone had planned for anything to go. So it's a little unreasonable to expect things to go any other way when the universe has been like hitting us over the head with snowballs that are like, that's not what's happening right now. That's not what's happening right now. Um, You know, if if Nicole and I, two people who are famously not patient or gentle people, but and have had to cultivate that through hard won methods over our adult (laughs) lives, if we're encouraging ourselves, each other and other people to be patient and gentle, it must be necessary, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's got to. I really, I think about this all the time because I think about like as a younger person looking at adults that were kind of into self-helpy stuff, I was like, what a dip. But now as an adult, I see that as like, oh shit, that person needed that so bad that they are clinging to that. It's not that they were born with some kind of serenity. It's that they had to like (laughs) learn how to reparent themselves and they're clinging to it because if they didn't, they would just be like, I don't, I don't even know what much less pleasant person to be around or to witness. We are all just children walking around in adult clothes, masquerading as adults. That's true. I'm just a child with boobs. You're just a, I'm just a, I'm just a child with Botox. (laughs) (laughs) Beth Pickens, happy birthday. Oh, this is a great early birthday gift to get to see your face. I miss you. Oh yeah. I miss you too. And look how close our face is going to be to one another with no mask. So close, no mask. I can smell your breath. Listeners, if you would like to give Beth Pickens the best birthday of her life, join Homework Club. Join Homework Club. Join Homework Club. If you join, even for a month, you get to look at all the stuff from before and look forward to whatever's coming next. Yes. If you join before the end of January 2022, you have access to all of the 2021 content. We are cutting that off as of February 1st. Um, so you should join now. You just go to BethPickens.com and it's really easy to join Homework Club. Wonderful. Beth, thanks for coming on the podcast. Nicole, I love you so much. I love you too. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.